Uh, one thing I do want to mention, we've had a transition team that has been together that has helped us get to the point of where we've been able to open up for worship. And we are ending their time because we have now sort of put together all of the plans to move forward. So Alan Davis and Megan Figlioli. Emily Alt, she's not able to be here today. The Alts are out looking for a new home, so we pray that they get their new home. Um, help me out with names that I'm missing here. Beth Leary, Beth is in the back. Pastor Josie Tolls, have I missed? And Rick Lawton, who just came back from our Duxbury site. They've all made up our transition team. We'd like to thank you all for your work, and we appreciate the ministry you've been involved with. Also, our tech team, which is Steve Gill and Sean Clancy have worked tirelessly and hard to get us up in terms of our online presence. And Rick Tolls and Doug Loud set us up out in the parking lot this summer. So we're doing a little thing after worship just to honor them, but we would like to publicly thank each of you for your tireless work. Many people don't see the hours that people have spent in it, and we thank you for all that you have done. This morning, as we continue in our study, I'd invite you, if you have your scriptures with you, to please turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. You can also, if you have a cell phone or an electronic device, you can turn to it there. And we are continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. I hear people say things like this. I'm always anxious about everything, and I only find myself worrying. Now, that is a little bit of an extreme, but that's my summary of what I'm starting to hear people say. And I'm not just talking about Christians, because unfortunately that's creeping into the church, but it's really what's happening in our society, that the anxiety and frustration and wanting things to be different than they are is so prevalent that all of a sudden words like always, everything, and only are only describing negative feelings and senses and thoughts that people are having. Amen? Have you seen it? We need to guard our hearts. That's what this morning's text is about. The Apostle Paul is helping us guard our hearts because our clues and our thinking does not come from out there. It comes from God's Word. And that's why texts like the letter to the Philippians is so important for us to hear and hear what Paul is telling us. You see, this isn't just an American problem. It is a Christian problem. Because I'm hearing the same thing of Christians. In fact, within our own church, as we've been talking to people, we have more and more people saying to us, you know, I don't know how much longer I can continue with this. And we don't know what the future holds. We do know the one who holds the future. So our trust is in God. It's not in circumstances. So I pose you that question. Don't I have the right to feel this way? Don't I have the right to be negative and cynical? Answer, yes, you do. You have every right to be negative and cynical. Congratulations, you're an American. You have the right to your thoughts, and you can even say all the negative things that you want to say. However, just because I have the right to do it or think it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Just because I live in a world in which our society says it's okay to say anything you want to say, that doesn't mean we should say anything we want to say. Just because I have the right to think anything I can think doesn't mean that I, it is right for me to think it. That's why the scriptures come to us as an opportunity to transform our minds. That's what Paul tells us in Romans 12, by the transforming, by the renewing of our minds that we changed. We have the right? Yes. 
Is it helpful and advantageous to us in our spiritual life? Absolutely no. That's why Paul, although he didn't live in the prison of his thoughts, think about that, he did not live in the prison of his thoughts, he lived in a prison. And even though he lived in a prison, and we're going to be showing a picture of the prison that we believe the Apostle Paul was in, it was a dark, difficult place. Here, it's been excavated, and this is what it looks like. It's not exactly the kind of place that you and I would want to spend a day, a week, a month, or a year, is it? Carved out of the side of a hillside, put in a place in which it was cold and dank and difficult. And yet, even there, although he was in a physical prison, he was not in the prison of his thoughts. And that's why he shares with us his word, which is not just good thoughts from the Apostle Paul. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking to us the very word of God. He's letting us understand how God wants us to live our lives. Now, I've said this before, and that's why I wanted the picture up there. If the Apostle Paul could change with us, I guarantee he would have. He would rather have worn a mask than be sitting in that cell. Amen? And we wouldn't make the change. And yet, isn't it fascinating that Paul, sitting in a prison, has been able to be freed by the power of the Holy Spirit to look at life completely different than what we would assume a person would think if they were in such a difficult place? The great theologian Karl Barth put it this way. And it's an illustration that I like as we think about what the scriptures do for us. He said, imagine you were born and lived your entire life in a warehouse. It's the only place you ever lived. All you had was four gray walls around you. You had the ceiling, you had the basement, you had just a few little furnishings, and it is the only experience you ever had in life. However, living in that warehouse, you had a small window that you could look outside. And looking outside, you could see some things but very, very little. And then one day you're looking outside and you see some people out there. And the people are out there through the window and they're looking up and they're pointing up and you try to look up and see up, but you can't see what they're seeing. And you look and you look and all you see is the ceiling of the warehouse, but they seem to be filled with joy as they're looking at something that's amazing. And is it then imagine that one of those people out there comes and carves a hole in the, in the warehouse and invites you to come outside where now you get to physically look up and all of a sudden you see all kinds of things that you've never seen before and life looks completely different. He said, that's what the scripture is for us. God literally has carved a hole into our existence and invites us to come out and see the reality of God's truth, not our truth, because according to our humanness and our human sinfulness, we're captured in this warehouse in which we're very limited on what we see. And now we're invited out to see something completely different and live accordingly. That's really what this morning's text is about. The Apostle Paul giving us God's word to invite us out of the places that cause us to be held captive because he's sitting in a place that looks much like this. In fact, this could very well be the prison that the Apostle Paul is in. And there his mind and his life and his spirituality has been freed by the power of the Holy Spirit to know that there is a power and a reality far beyond his experiences. And therefore, he's able to live with a joy and a peace that we all are invited to have no matter what our experiences are. And that's what this morning's section of the letter to the Philippians is about. And it begins not with always being anxious, but rather rejoicing in the Lord always. 
Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. He tells us to rejoice because, again, like Karl Barth is helping us realize, he's seeing something and we're invited to see something far beyond our circumstances. God loved you and created you. And before the creation of this world, in God's infinite wisdom, he chose to create each one of us. Isn't that a miracle? Isn't that amazing? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have created every one of you. And I'm not sure as I stand here that you would have all thought to create me. But it doesn't matter because we're not captured by our own thinking. We're captured by God's word. And in God's infinite wisdom, God has chosen to create every human life. That is why life is sacred. It's not sacred because we're special because we've decided we're special. It's sacred and special because it's created by God. And God doesn't make mistakes. Amen? And so the gift of life is so important. And yes, our relationship with the Lord is so central and determinative in our lives that all other factors cannot change or shake our sense of enthusiasm. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter what we face in life. Because what God has given to us and what God's doing for us and the fact that not only were we created, but then when we sin and fall astray, God sends his own son. He loves us so much to give his son for us that again, showing us not only that we're loved, but now that we're forgiven and we're made pure and made righteous in God's eyes and therefore we can have a relationship with him. And if that's not enough, God promises us an abundant life today and for all eternity. Sometimes I ask myself when I'm frustrated with something, how am I going to feel about this 25 billion years from now? Sort of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And that's what Paul is sharing with us as he's there in prison. Therefore, he tells us to rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. And then, if we are confused, he says it again. Again, I say rejoice. The word he's using here is joy. Be joyful. Choose to Look at what's good and what God's doing in our life. Did you know the Apostle Paul, sitting in prison, 16 times uses the word joy to describe how we should look at life? Think about that. If you and I were in prison and we were writing a letter, would we keep saying the word joy over and over? But he does. The word joy appears in the book of Philippians, a short letter, more times than in any other text in the New Testament. The second most often it's found is in the book of Luke, and the reason it's found there eight times is because it's also used in describing the birth of our Savior. But here in this short little letter, just a few pages long, the Apostle Paul over and over talks about how we need to choose joy and to rejoice in the Lord and again to rejoice. What difference does it make? It makes a huge difference. It determines our spiritual life because if we choose to be negative and we choose to be down and we choose to only focus on the negative circumstances in life, the Holy Spirit just gets squelched in our life. And that's what the New Testament talks about. We don't want to be squelching the Spirit. We want God's life and God's light to be living through us. 
There was a study that was done a few years ago. I'm always amazed at what people study. It seems like we study absolutely everything, doesn't it? Somebody got the bright idea of saying, I wonder what is the difference between if somebody chooses to be positive in life versus if somebody chooses to be negative. It's a great question. And the way that they came up with it, they decided they were going to study autobiographies and figure out how people wrote about their own life. They didn't do a biography. They only chose autobiographies, and they wanted to see if people described their life in negative terms or positive terms. Now, to make their, their study a little bit morbid, they only chose people who had died. The reason is because they wanted to see if it had any effect on the longevity of their life. So you couldn't really tell if somebody's writing a positive or negative autobiography how long they were going to live, but you could go back and you could see how long people did live and looked at the words they used to describe their life. And amazingly, or not surprisingly, because it's consistent with what the scripture teaches us, people who describe their life in positive terms lived significantly longer than people who describe their, their life in negative terms. And they use these particular terms in, in, in their study. The positive terms were terms like lively, vigorous, attentive, and humorous. The negative terms that people describe their life was angry, afraid, drowsy, and sluggish. I love it when God's word is shown in an empirical way in our society to to be real. We know it's true either way, but sometimes it's nice just to see those studies that come back and say, listen, that's what Paul is telling us. He's telling us to choose to be joyful, to look beyond our circumstances and to quit focusing on the things that trouble us all the time and instead to rejoice in the Lord. This is that whole process of sanctification as we choose to trust in God and choose to trust in the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to have a more powerful part in our life, and then we start to see our lives change from the inside out, and we're amazed at how God changes and transforms us, but we need to first surrender by doing what Paul says, and in every situation, in every circumstance, to choose to be joyful. Because as he goes along, he tells us the second thing, and it's not to be anxious about everything. But instead, verse 6, it's quite the opposite. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Let's try that word. A lot of times I like to look at Greek words, and I like to look at the deep meanings or what they really mean. What does the word everything mean? It means everything, doesn't it? Hear what Paul says? What should you pray about? That's not a tough question. Everything. Should I pray about this? Yes. Should I pray about that? Yes. So let, let's, let's make it real for our lives today. I lost my job. What should I do? Say that together. I got a promotion. What should I do? You guys are going to get 100% on this quiz. I guarantee you. We're having a baby. What should, I pray? what should I do? In our situation, it would be a miracle. I'm sick. What should I do? I'm going on vacation. What should I do? Here's a tough one. My child comes home with all A's on his or her report card. What do I do? My child comes home with a bad report card. What do I do? 
Notice what we don't do first. We don't turn to our child and say, you're smarter than everyone else in the world. And we don't yell and scream at our child and get upset with them. We pray. That's what the Bible teaches. In every circumstance, pray. Now, for the children or the youth, I come home with a bad report card. What should I do? Let's say that together. Pray. In everything, Paul says, pray. Whatever we face, take it to God. Take it to the Lord. This alleviates anxiety. And Paul even tells us in the series of of kinds of prayers that we do here, the word prayer means to pray for others. The word supplication means the urgent matters in our life. And then when he tells us specifically, let your requests be made known to God, what he's talking about is our personal issues. See, it covers everything, even in the language that he uses here. Paul says pray for other people. Don't get upset with other people. Pray with other people. Don't let them rent space in your head. Don't let them get you and me to the point of where we're angry and resentful and frustrated with other people. Take it to God. He created them. Haven't you ever had that prayer? God, I know that you don't make a mistake. And I totally get that every single person you created, you created by design. And I really don't get why you created that person. But since you did, I'm just taking it to you in prayer. That's what Paul tells us to do. Rather than thinking that we need to take every situation into our own hands. I remember a number of years ago, I had a friend who told me that her mom taught her. I always like what these Christian moms teach to teach people, because I have a lot of stuff that my own mom taught me. And her mom taught her to pray for everything. So when she was a little girl, she would go to the store with her mom, and before they bought anything, the mom would pray for it. Lord, do we really need this extra can of beans? And then she put it in the cart. Now, my friend said to me, what's amazing, is she goes, I can't not pray for everything. She goes, I go to Walmart, and I stand there with every single item and have a prayer. God, should I be buying this? She said, sometimes I think people think I'm pretty crazy as they're watching me. But she'd learn to put a very practical application to what Paul is telling us. Learn to pray for everything. Because we take on all this stuff ourselves and we think it's our responsibility and we get ourselves worked up and we start feeling as if it's all about us and it's all about our thoughts and we just make a mess of things. And so Paul says, rejoice always. Always. Constantly rejoice. Constantly find joy. And in everything, take it to God. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, no matter what we're facing, God wants to hear everything. And as you read the scriptures, you will find that the instructions over and over are the same thing. God invites us to take everything to him. He's never too busy for us. There's never an issue too small. We sort of get to the place in life where we start thinking that Our concerns are trivial and unimportant to someone else, but that's never the truth with God. Nothing is too small for us to take to the Lord. And when we start to learn to do that, when we start to unburden ourselves to God, what Paul tells us is very clear. We won't be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything, but rather take everything to God in prayer. And finally... And I love this one, and this gets back to that whole thing about mother's good advice, is only think positive thoughts. 
guard your minds and your hearts. They're a sacred, special trust that's been given to you by God. Our minds are fearfully and wonderfully made, the same as every other part of ourselves. And think of the negative, filthy stuff that we put into our minds. Would we do that with other things in our life? Would we take a beautiful china bowl that we have in our china cabinet and take it down and just fill it full of mud? I hope not. We honor and value certain things in our life. Well, God is telling us literally here, value your mind. Realize that it is a precious gift that's been given to you by God and guard it so that the Holy Spirit is honored in the very things we look at, the very TV shows we watch, the movies we watch, the things that we read, the voices that we listen to, and the thoughts that we hold. Do you see what a difference it makes in our life? How many times do we go through life and and start realizing that we're dwelling on such negative stuff, and yet who allowed that stuff in, in, in our minds in the first place? We did. Which is why this is the verse I call my mom's favorite verse. I don't know if it was. I just know she used to quote it to me all the time. And I would say something negative, and my mom would come back and say, Is that true, Stan? Is that honorable? Is that pure? Is that lovely? Is that commendable? Is there excellence in that? Is that something worthy of praise? If not, get it out of your thinking. And that's what Paul tells us. Only think about positive things. Finally, finally, he says, if you want to learn how to live a life according to the Holy Spirit, then let's quit filling our minds with all of that stuff that's only going to tear us down and rip us apart and make us feel bad about ourselves and get us anxious and depressed and, and negative and looking at them and obsessing over things that we shouldn't be obsessing over. It's why minds become addicted to negative things and, and things that are awful in our lives. It, whether we're talking about things like pornography or whether we're talking about things like negative hate speech. It's all stuff that the Apostle Paul says should not be any part of our lives. And we get to make that choice. Nobody forces it on us. You and I, every single day, get to choose and realize, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. My mom used to have it with a little phrase where she said, don't borrow trouble. Don't borrow trouble. Because that's what we do, isn't it, when we start thinking those negative thoughts? Because I'm convinced there's really only two things that messes up most Christians. Yesterday and tomorrow. Yesterday and tomorrow. We obsess over yesterday and the things that we did wrong or the things that we messed up, failing to realize that all is forgiven. It's all forgiven. It's all gone. We can't go and change the past. We can, we can come to terms with it. We can learn from it. And we can accept the fact that we serve an awesome God who's forgiven the things that we've done wrong and even taken the things that we did wrong and the failures that we had, and he's used them for his glory. That's what's amazing about God. We're told about that in Genesis, and we're told about that in Romans, that God takes the things that we intend negatively or happen negatively, and God transforms them and brings about good. Or what happens with the future? We worry about things that we should never worry about, and we get our minds filled with that. And so my mom used to summarize it all by saying, don't borrow trouble. I often ask the question to myself, and so I ask it to you. 
When you allow your mind to go to that negative place, whether it be an anger or a resentment towards someone else, whether it be something that someone else has done to you that you can't let go and, and you and I are not choosing to focus ourselves on something that's positive and, and good, how much is someone else paying you to rent that space in your head? I thought about it. I have a nice garage over here. And some people need a place to put a car this winter or, or maybe there's a, a boat or something you want to put. I will rent the garage for $2,000 a month to anybody who wants to have it. Pretty good deal, isn't it? But you notice what I did, I charged you. What we do is we give up that space in our head all the time for nothing. And Paul says, watch against that. Guard your hearts. Guard your minds. If we want to be serious about living our Christian life, let's listen to how Paul asks us to live. We get to choose to rejoice always in every situation, no matter what comes along, to give God thanks for everything, and to choose to be positive. We get to pray for everything because there's no issue that God doesn't care about in your life or mine, and it's our choice whether or not we take them to our Heavenly Father and lay them before the throne. And then we're invited to only think about the positive things and to guard our minds and to realize it is a sacred trust that's been entrusted to you and to me. And no one else forces us to put the things in our thoughts we choose to do it ourselves. And so this morning, instead of going through life saying, I'm always anxious about everything and I only find myself worrying, let's choose to rejoice always, to pray for everything, and to only think about positive things. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Paul was in a prison, but his mind wasn't and his spirit wasn't. He was freed to live the life that the Holy Spirit wanted him to live, no matter what his circumstances were. And that's what we need to understand in our own lives, that until we guard our hearts and our minds and quit allowing every thought and everything to capture us, that we will not have the life that you've promised to us. And yet your Spirit urges every single one of us to surrender to you, to realize that it is you who wishes to work in our minds and our hearts and to transform us from the inside out. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for Paul. And we pray that we could learn to get out of the warehouse and to realize that literally your scriptures have opened the doors and we are invited to come out. Help us to study your word, to absorb it, to make it part of our lives that your word, which is holy, that sanctifies us, would sanctify our hearts and turn us into the people that we would grow to the, be the people that you so desire us to be. We pray your blessing on us this morning, on each one who's gathered here, on others who have patiently waited for our online stream to go up. And help us to live for you this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.